Hello and welcome to the Musty Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Jesus Nolan, and I'm joined by my friend and yours... Michelle Nolan. Wow, two episodes in a row. Yes. You say your full name, no gimmicks. Yes. There's something going wrong. I didn't meow like a cat. Not the true Michelle. Anyways, thank you for joining us today, even though it's musty in here, because we've been working too hard. If this is your first time listening to us, we are the Musty Collective, and we motivate ourselves to become better storytellers. And today... We have another special guest. That's right, two interviews in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has worked as a story analyst for big names like Matthew Fox from the show Lost and Cameron Crowe, who was the writer slash director of films like Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous. Ruben Padilla. Hi, thank you. And I love that we have a live audience here today. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> live audience. <laughs> 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 Untie me. <laughs> yeah, we're in the studio today. Actually, we're in uh, in the embassy uh, back lot in the soundstage, number 13. And uh, this is great. Thank you so much for, yeah, for <laughs> giving us this, this great venue to, to podcast and interview. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, let's start the show. Welcome to the show, Ruben. Uh, you are officially a musty creative. Welcome. Officially? Yes. yes. I passed? Yes. <laughs> I made it? Yeah. Wow. What yeah, does that mean? Well, uh, we're going to give you a degree. We'll mail it to you. I see. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can show your I've friends. I've been told musty before, but never creative. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you're working too hard. Right. Not taking a shower. Mm-hmm. Right? But again. I took one just before I came here. I'll have yeah. you know. <laughs> we'll see. After the end of this interview, we'll see. But yeah, it's just for people that uh, love story, are actually storytellers, and also show grit. And That's me. Don't give up. That's mm-hmm. me. Yeah. You have an intriguing job. Uh, I said it in the intro, but it's story analyst. I used to have that interesting job. Okay. I, I don't have that now, but okay. that was kind of my introduction into Hollywood. That's how I ended up um, moving there. Wow. Actually, I worked. I grew up in San Diego. Yeah. And I worked. I actually lived in San Diego while I worked for Cameron Crowe in Los Angeles. It was really great because he <laughs> yeah. needed somebody. I actually was hired on as an assistant first. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the guy who recommended me was the outgoing assistant and he said to me listen um you know directors don't like it especially if they're a writer yeah they don't like to hire people who are want to be writers so <laughs> don't say that you're into writing yeah and i said well what am i gonna i don't want to lie to him what yeah. did he ask me <laughs> right. he's too busy he's not gonna ask you anything yeah i said okay so just be the assistant but don't say that you want you know want to write yeah which i did mm-hmm. and so uh I went up, and sure enough, I was just a personal assistant. That's all I was. I mean, yeah. you know, picking up the mail and running errands and yeah. dry cleaning. But in the first few days, sure enough, he decides to strike up a conversation with me, and oh, he says, no. so what do you like to do? What, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about you. Yeah. And I just couldn't lie to him. And I yeah. said, well, I, I want to write. <laughs> oh, no. And I could kind of see the look on his face, but he actually didn't mind. Yeah. And he says, uh, so what, you want to be a story analyst? I said, I, Absolutely. What's a story analyst? <laughs> well, a story analyst actually is uh, 
uh, kind of the 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 gatekeeper of all of the material that crosses the desk of an actor or a director or somebody important in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They just don't have time yeah. to do all the reading of all the submissions yeah. that they're given. So they hire somebody mm. or somebody's provided to them to read scripts. Yeah. And uh, then you read a script and then you kind of write a, a synopsis, right. what's important about it. You do it basically a book report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you generally, you, three categories, you say, you know, consider this yes. or pass on this. This is no good. Or uh, recommend this. Right. You know, you mm-hmm. should you should read this after me. So I, if I had a script for Back to the Future 4. Right. For Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yes. I would, it would go to you first. If I was Steven Spielberg's story analyst, yeah. I would read it. Okay. And then I would say, you don't want to read that, Steven. Or, or you, you, you should consider wanna, it. You, you may want to read it because yeah. there has some good things. You may mm-hmm. want to consider the writer. You may yeah. want to consider this aspect of the story was really great. I right. like this take on it. Or you have to read this, Stephen. This is really, really good. Okay. Um, Let's focus on the really, really good for a second. Right. Like how many of those films like or those, those screenplays or stories or pitches, could you say in an estimation, like good 24%, bad you know, 75%? Good question. I, I've all I'd all I'd always heard yeah. that most of the scripts in Hollywood were are bad. Yeah, that they're really just not good. In fact, that was a thing that uh, teachers and mentors would encourage me, saying, "You have no idea how bad a lot of that stuff is." Mm-hmm. So if you yeah. want to write, do it. Because if you think about it, to write a screenplay is yeah. a big accomplishment. Yeah. So I mean, just to do that work already kind of separates you from all of the people in the world mm-hmm. who want to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Right. If you've actually done it then you're in a smaller pool of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to actually do the footwork to get that script submitted is a, an even smaller pool of people. Right. And then to have those scripts that are submitted actually be good <laughs> is an even smaller pool of people. Yeah. So you'd be surprised how many scripts actually get into the hands of important people mm-hmm. and they're actually good. Wow. So I found this to be encouraging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, this is great. This is yeah. wonderful. So uh, I was uh, in an interesting position, though, because at the time... Cameron Crowe was an A-list director. I mean, he yeah. had done Jerry Maguire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Cruise had an Oscar nomination, and it yeah. was nominated mm-hmm. for five Academy Awards. Wow. So it was, it put him at a level. Yeah. This was in 1995, he did Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Right. I joined him in 2000, mm-hmm. and he had just finished um, Almost Famous, which yeah. if you haven't seen, is yeah. it's in my top 10, regardless of the fact that I worked for the man. It's a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so... He was accepting submissions to do other people's work. And so because of his um, association with Tom Cruise yeah. uh, and the fact that he was, and still is, I think, a wonderful writer, mm-hmm. uh, he was getting submissions from really big names. So wow. I was in a fortunate position yeah. that most of the stuff I saw was of a very high quality. And you could just mm-hmm. read it. And learn yeah, from it. I knew that it. You know, yeah. this is a Brad Pitt project, or a Julia yeah. Roberts project, or a Danny DeVito project. Or Danny DeVito submitted. A Danny script? DeVito, yeah, <laughs> Danny DeVito, Tom Hanks, yeah, uh, uh, Kevin Spacey before he got in trouble. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, yeah. they were all big names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and a lot of the submissions also were not for scripts; they were for books. Because if you recall, Cameron Crowe. Uh, worked for Rolling Stone for many years, and he's a writer, writer. I mean, he's yeah. a journalist and a writer and a music, uh, you know, expert. Mm-hmm. So there would be a lot of books on, you know, music biographies and, and musicians. And so in addition to the scripts, they give me books to read for a possible blurb on the back of the jacket, you know, right. or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when I said I wanted to be a writer, he 
said, well, let me give you a couple of scripts and we'll try you out. Wow. And he went into his office <laughs> and he grabbed a couple of scripts, which I, looking back on it, it might have been a little bit unfair because he picked two scripts that dealt with subjects that he was very familiar with. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these were things that, you know, he knew a lot about the scripts or the subject matter. And I had never really known what I, I, I wasn't familiar with yeah. these, these stories. How, how old were you at this time? Well, it was uh, if I may ask. 2000. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was uh, 33. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I took these two scripts and mm-hmm. I said, this is it. This is this is a test. And it was like a college final. I stayed up all night. <laughs> yeah. I went to Barnes & Noble back when Barnes & Nobles were open till 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I got a couple books on the subjects and I went back. Oh, mm-hmm. that's the other thing I wanted to say. I lived in San Diego. Yeah. I got the job, and he said, "Listen, I live in the Palisades, but I have a condominium in uh, in 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 Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. It's not being used, so why don't you come up and you can stay there for three days yeah, why a not? week?" <laughs> yeah. So I got to stay in his condominium where he wrote "Say Anything." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it was like my little private apartment for three days a week for two years. That's it was awesome. wonderful. That's a really good. It was fantastic. So mm-hmm. I went home, or I, did, I went to the condo, and I. Uh, <laughs> it was already I, home too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was home. And I, uh, I kicked off my shoes, took yeah, off my yeah. clothes, and uh, I, I, I read these scripts, and I did my little reports, and it was like the first time I'd ever really done this. Yeah. But I kind of just followed my instincts, mm-hmm. and I. Uh, I will not toot my own horn to say that I was a good story analyst. Mm-hmm. In fact, I could have been a bad story analyst. I just happened to have got it in it, gotten it right with these two stories. Right. And my opinions just happened to have coincided, mm-hmm. I guess, Crow. with his opinions. Right. Um, and I, it might, I might have been completely opposite had I been working for somebody else. Right. But mm-hmm. it just so happened that he read the reports and said, uh, you're the best story analyst I've ever had. You're right. it. You're wow. the guy. So I became, an, from an assistant to a story analyst overnight, which basically mm-hmm. just meant I didn't have to, I still had to do other errands, but I got to go into the office every day. Yeah. yeah. And I got to be right next door to where his office was in the little library room. Mm-hmm. And I w- worked all day just reading stuff. So that yeah. was that was really great. That's an awesome opportunity. Can you tell us how much with writing, especially in film, TV, entertainment, is subjective art versus there are objective ways to say this is good, this is bad. As a, a big nerd of pop culture, we I go back and argue with people on the internet, this movie's bad because of this, and the writing's bad here, and the plot development. But yeah. is it really just subjective? Or like you said, you, you could have been a bad story analyst for someone else, right. but you were great for Cameron Crowe. Yeah, I, just by coincidence, I, yeah. I, it, it worked. But I, this is an interesting subject you bring up because yeah. I have had arguments with people right. who have said that a movie is bad, making the subjective argument. Oh, yeah. And I have said, no, it wasn't a bad movie. It's a very good movie. You just yeah. happen to have not liked a good movie, mm. which is okay. Mm. <laughs> I remember my, my dearest friend. Do you ever see Memento? Christopher Nolan's Memento? Yeah. A wonderful mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you can't even really argue it. I mean, the yeah. guy took the rules of filmmaking, kind of switched it up, kind of mm-hmm. changed it. And he made a very good film. Yeah. But I can understand people saying they didn't like it. Yeah. It's confusing. It's it's it, it, it messes mm-hmm. with the linear time. It's I can understand people saying I didn't like it, yeah. but I could not accept somebody saying it was a horrible film. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember standing on a sidewalk arguing mm-hmm. for an hour with somebody, <laughs> yes. saying no. Yes. It was a good film that you didn't like, and to yeah. this day they say it was a horrible movie. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think I agree with you. Yeah. There are some 
films, some performances, some right. stories that are dramatically sound. They yeah. follow the tenets mm -hmm. of dramatic structure. Mm -hmm. They hit all the notes. Right. They do what they're supposed to do. Right. And maybe you don't like it for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe you have a... a, a, a um, some kind of a feeling. visceral reaction yeah, that shows against yeah. maybe what the director was trying to do. Right. And I respect people's opinions, yeah. but there are some movies that you just can't. I mean, yeah. nobody mm -hmm. can say The Godfather <laughs> is a bad movie, no, right? No, they mm -hmm. can't. They can't. No, they can't. I mean, I couldn't. I yeah. don't think I could respect somebody who said it was a bad movie. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. Well, I, you're I, about to meet someone. No. <laughs> <laughs> Behind put door number up, two. <laughs> From your past. Yeah. yeah. The guy who you argue with on the street. Yeah. So, what is the difference between story and narrative? Oh, well, this is a big can of worms you're opening up because <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a distinction that uh -huh. I made up. So there, there is no, this is just me talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but I, I think it's okay to do because, uh, Seth Godin, who's a wonderful author yeah. and, uh, he has written about many subjects, but he kind of created this idea that narrative for him, at least and his readers, and he's a, you know, mm -hmm. best-selling author. He defines narrative as the stories that we tell ourselves in our head. Mm. So the little you know, whether they're positive or negative, the little loops, the voice that's going on in your head that might be the reason that you are successful or not successful or are afraid of something or not, those he calls narratives. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. It just so happens that it's a an arbitrary definition that he just kind of came up with. Okay. If you look in the dictionary, narrative is a synonym of story. Mm -hmm. There is no real distinction between right. the two. But I had this nagging feeling as a writer and as a story analyst and as a performer and entertainer, as a public speaker, I, 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 I've always had this nagging feeling that there was something more than just story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because story encompasses so many things, but the one thing that I found was missing was that story could be somebody else's story that right. you tell. Right. And a story could be made up and not real. Right. And I, I wanted something that fit the category of a story that only you could tell. Oh, wow. A story that could only be told by you and a story that would reveal mm -hmm. more of who you were as a person right. because you told it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I started playing with this idea that stories are great yeah. and stories are tools, mm -hmm. but a narrative is something bigger and more personal. Because I did a lot of storytelling. Yeah. I'm a member of uh, the Story Salon in Los Angeles, which is Los Angeles's uh, longest running storytelling venue. Oh wow! A lot of people know of the Moth and yeah, other things. Moth, like, yeah. This is precedes the Moth. Oh really? Story Salon has been around, and it's a group of people who get together on Wednesday nights in Studio City. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they tell first person narratives. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they share who they are, and when it's yeah. done well. Mm -hmm you realize only that person can tell that story. Right. And so I've noticed as I walk through life that you know there are sometimes, too often, people will tell a story that has been fed to them by the company yeah. or that they've been reciting forever and they've been you know adapting it, but it's not really telling us who this person is. Right. And mm -hmm. I got the opportunity as I went through life, and we're jumping around chronologically, but yeah, later yeah. I <laughs> took a lot of these strategies yeah. that I knew could be useful to people 
who want to tell what they consider to be a story, yeah. but are actually doing something more grand, in my opinion, and that is sharing their narrative. Mm. Whether it's in a speech, or they're writing something, or they're telling a story. For example, yeah. if you take a look at a Steven Spielberg movie, right. you know that there are ways that only Steven Spielberg would express that film or that scene. And so if you take a look at his body of work, Steven Spielberg has created a narrative right. that actually tells you a lot more about him as an artist and as a person, perhaps as a father, yeah. perhaps as a as as a as a, a as a as a husband, yeah. mm-hmm. as a, a Jewish uh, a person of Jewish faith. Yeah. I mean, he has revealed who he is mm-hmm. with his narrative in his body of work. At the same time, somebody could get up and give an acceptance speech at the Oscars and it will reveal nothing of who they are. Yeah. It's something that, they, you know, somebody wrote for them and they just are rattling off names. Yeah. So that would be a story. That would, that would be just, right. not even a story. It would just be, you're informing us, you're just talking. Okay. But yet somebody can get up there and you can look back on Tom Hanks' acceptance speeches. Mm-hmm. You can look back on um, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s acceptance speech yeah. mm-hmm. where there's just such unbridled passion and right. humanity coming through. Mm-hmm. Not a political message yeah. so much, but you get a chance to say, I know that person more he now showed, he showed because of that, mm-hmm. and only yeah. he could have done it that way. Mm-hmm. So I created this movement. It just started getting traction. Mm-hmm. That narrative is a story that only you can tell, mm-hmm. and there are narratives that may not even include a story. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of you know some some advanced level yeah. thinking there. <laughs> yeah. But it's possible for you to reveal to me, and maybe right, during our time together today, mm-hmm. right. you will share with me. I will share with you who I am as a person, mm-hmm. maybe without injecting any stories. I've already told yeah. stories, so I broke that rule. Yeah. But it's possible <laughs> to do that and share who you are in a way that uh, that is unique and narrative, right. as I define it. So I created this company called Narrative Strategies mm-hmm. that helps people in speaker training and also wow. story creation yeah. and in, uh, in, in sales uh, presentations because I took these strategies from Hollywood and I entered the corporate world. Yeah. And what I found in the corporate world, especially the sales corporate world, which is a brutal, really oh, high yeah. pressure, mm-hmm. it's an incredibly different planet. I mean, as a somebody in Hollywood, a creative person going into the corporate world, especially sales, it was like another planet for me. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things yeah. I noticed is that people would tell these stories that were not true. And they were purporting to be true. Yeah. They were lying. And yeah. I thought, well, if, if there's no difference between narrative and, and story, then how can you say there's a difference between story and lying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought, this is there's got to be something more here. And I started realizing that you could take some of these strategies, put them in an authentic way mm-hmm. in a sales process right. in the corporate world. I mean, some of these salespeople were trading stories back and forth like baseball cards. <laughs> there was literally, I remember somebody came up to me and thanked me for a big sale that they got. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I, I, how did I help you? He says, I used your, your, your story about your son. Oh, I said, wow. what do you mean? He goes, that story you told about your son and the chocolate milk? I said, yeah. He says, I used it and it was great and I got the sale. Oh, I said, but you don't even have a son. He goes, I know. <laughs> I go, but it's my story. Yeah. He goes, oh, it was fine. And he had absolutely no qualm about it. Oh, right. He thought it was actually a great thing. Yeah. And as far as I know, he might even still be using that story today. <laughs> yeah. And it, it got me so upset. I just, I thought, that's that's not right. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. a distinction that came to me from my own life that I was hearing the narrative story, mm-hmm. I, I think of like, 
religion and, and church, mm-hmm. right? Yes. In church, I think a lot of people are telling stories. Yes. Right? And it's not something that's personal to them. You could tell. Right. Not saying that's everybody's experience, but right. that, that's definitely experience I've seen versus like a narrative would be something like a, maybe someone's testimony. Yes. Like someone stands yes. in the church and says, ah, you know, like something like that, right? And they, they speak something that's true and authentic. And that could be even more impressive on the mind of somebody in the congregation versus some versus the preacher going up and telling something that absolutely. they don't feel it. Is, is, right. am I, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And not only and, and, uh, authenticity being a big factor, yeah. but exclusivity, mm-hmm. meaning that, a, a, for example, a pastor or a minister or a priest could get up and give an authentic sermon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it may be something that they have done before right. in much the same way maybe last year at the yeah. same holiday or maybe you know last week yeah but so what i am looking for when somebody shares narrative is not only is it is it authentic but you said it in a way today yeah. that you would not have said it mm. yesterday in the same way mm. and you won't say it tomorrow in the same way yeah because these people were present, yeah. and somebody made that comment, and somebody asked that question, right. mm-hmm. and and something happened to you that morning before you got there, yeah. and it, it affects you, and it, and, it, and it makes that moment be authentic, but also exclusive to everything else. Wow. So that's what I look for in narrative. Wow. Not only is it you, but it's also something that could only have happened at this time and place, yeah. and aren't we lucky? To have been here, right. to have experienced that, right, mm-hmm. and to know that you're not going to say the same thing tomorrow at the same time, right, mm-hmm. right. Billions of dollars are being spent in the industry to be able to capture the attention mm-hmm. and the interest and the involvement of whoever's reading that script, right. And if they make the movie, then there's going to be more billions. I'm saying collectively, yeah. being spent to ensure that the audience. Is is interested and involved, right. and they can identify with the characters on the screen yeah. or on the television without them changing the channel. So yeah. it became very important, and I noticed that in the first five pages, this attention had to be captured in a way that felt authentic, felt exclusive, and made you as a reader or as an audience member want to continue to turn the pages or yeah. to see where the story ended up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of got me thinking, this is applicable not only to scripts and movies, I think it's applicable to life in many oh, yeah. ways. Oh, mm-hmm. many, yeah. And that's what helped ways. me later in, in the sales world right. when I would train people on how mm-hmm. to do this authentically and exclusively. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it was like graduate school working for him. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. wonderful. And it was a time when he wanted to do outside projects. He always had written and, and directed his own projects. Yeah. He was a very autobiographical filmmaker, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. And then uh, Tom Cruise came up and said, want you to make Vanilla Sky, mm-hmm. which is a remake of... Um, a Spanish film called Abre Sus Ojos, Open Your Eyes, oh, wow. by Pedro Amadovar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a great original film. But Tom Cruise really wanted to remake it. So Cameron said, well, I don't normally do this kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> it's not really my story, but he did it. Yeah. And he made Vanilla Sky, which came out a year after Almost Famous. And it it I like it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a movie that people can say, you know, they don't like. There's a lot of people who don't like that movie. Yeah. Some people hate that movie. Yeah. It's a science fiction, <laughs> weird, trippy movie. Yeah. I happen to have liked it, mm-hmm. but it didn't quite do what they all wanted it to do. Right. And so after that, uh, Cameron said, you know what, I think I'm going to go back to kind of doing my own thing and not looking for outside 
scripts, so my job kind of became obsolete because he wasn't accepting yeah. any more submissions wow. mm-hmm. um, as much as I wanted him to. And then I went off and I, I went, fortunately, I got to work for Matthew Fox. So yeah. I got to see the television side. Mm-hmm. I was with film for a right. couple of years and I got to see television. How did you how did you transition from Cameron Crowe to Matthew Fox? Like, well, I was unemployed. And again, it's yeah. very much like who you know and the mm-hmm. networking. And I had a friend who said, listen, I know Matthew Fox and he's looking for an assistant because he's about to star in a television series that he's going to be like in all the scenes and mm-hmm. he's going to be working <laughs> really long hours. Yeah. And so um, meet with him. And mm-hmm. so I met with him. And I said, you know, I, I, I was an assistant for a while, but I moved up to story analyst, and that's where my passions right now are really, you know, uh, lying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, great, because you can read all the scripts that I get, and you can do that mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. So I got to do it, and I got to be on set every day. And nice. I didn't have to go run and, you know, yeah. pick mm-hmm. up all the mail and the dry cleaning. I got to go actually get the coffee. Be there. Or... No, it was wonderful. Yeah. I yeah. got to yeah. see what it was like to be on a set. And I got to see the scripts and, 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 you know, I didn't have the power to say, this is not good. We should not do this script this right. week. But I was able to, you know, mm-hmm. help. Give recommendations. And the best part of that job is that that was where I met my beautiful wife, Carrie Specht. Oh. Who happened to be day playing as a, a second uh, assistant director. Nice. And I saw her and, and said, well, I need to know who that person is. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. You said something about how story could be, or narrative can be applied to to life itself, and I think it's interesting. Um, Ron Rickey's book Story has like an intro chapter talking about that very thing. I love that book. Right, that's another book that some people can hate. Yeah, and that a lot of people love. But as far it's, as I'm concerned, great book. So far, what I've been reading has been been amazing. I love that book. But he, he talks about like with modern history. Let's say around the 1500s, humans are continuing to look towards different things for uh, guidance and Mm -hmm. what to do in life. So Mm -hmm. religion was huge, right? Then science became that big thing and there's philosophy. But now we're in this this time mode where story is really the big thing that people are grasping to to say, you know, this is what I need to do in life. This is how I can find my morals, this is how I can find my my ground. Do you see that as, as you agree with him on that? I do. We are storytelling animals. I mean, it really is ingrained in us. And it's not something that is... um, is biological right. more than it is just passed down mimetically yeah. through, 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 through eons. I right. mean, you know, there was a time when people would gather at the fire at night and it was really important yeah. for this person to tell you yeah. not to go yeah. over there <laughs> yeah. because there's a mountain lion right, right. and not to eat these berries because you'll get really sick. Right. Mm-hmm. And that there's some people over the other side of the mountain who might come to get us. Right. So we became out of necessity and survival yeah. storytelling um, animals yeah and then we started recording these stories on the cave walls yeah and uh, even in biblical times right these were stories first before they were ever written down right right so the storytelling tradition carried through throughout history yeah and there were certain stories that were remembered yeah. and passed on right 
more mm -hmm. than other stories. Wow. Why was that? Right, well, right. Because mm -hmm. they were relevant. Yeah. They affected your health. Mm -hmm. They affected your 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 financial stability. They they affected your very survival. Yeah. They affected your emotions and they have they caused you to feel things. And mm -hmm. so yes, telling stories became vital. Yeah. And then uh, somewhere along the line it you know it became a wonderful form of entertainment yeah and it became not only a craft where there are certain things you can do that actually make it better yeah but it became in my opinion and i think you'll agree an art yeah where not only can it be uh, something that is uh wonderfully executed in a craftful way right. but is is it elevates humanity yeah and it says things that we could not have said otherwise right mm -hmm. and it speaks to the heavens and it speaks to uh our condition on earth and right. and, and 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 it became absolutely ingrained in us and now we live in a society where we're pretty savvy about storytelling. Yes, yes, I mean, exactly. my 16-year-old my son now yeah. can tell a good story from a bad story, and, and he's making stories on his phone with yeah. iMovie, and, and uh, we're becoming very sophisticated when it comes to storytelling. Yeah. And we're becoming very discerning as right. audience members right. as to this is no good, this is good, this is no good. Mm -hmm. Even in the last 10 years, yeah. there are people now yeah. on social media recommending binge-watching television series, yeah. Yeah. and guess what? They're right. They're yeah. recommending. <laughs> they're recommending good things. Yeah. You know, it's very rare when I see bad television mm -hmm. getting popular like yeah. I used yeah, to when I was true. a kid. Right. Tons mm -hmm. of bad TV. Right. But now the stuff that people are recommending mm -hmm. generally it's pretty good. There's a much higher quality, and I think yeah. it's because we have evolved to be pretty discerning when it comes to story. Mm -hmm. But also now. Now that we don't have the survival needs or necess necessities for story as mm -hmm. much, but I see it from a physical standpoint, but maybe from an emotional standpoint, yeah. these stories are really like affecting people, swaths mm -hmm. of people, um, that they'll cry when Iron Man dies on screen. Sure, sure, right? sure. If we Spoiler get alert. Well, <laughs> uh -oh. it's six months, sir. It's been, it's been some time. Uh-oh. It's some time. But, you know, like when, when people see these characters on screen over multiple movies or franchises, uh... It's it's a big deal for them. Yeah. Um, yeah well, why from, why is that? From a mythological sense, I mean, there yeah. is there is timeless stories that yeah. are retold and adapted in new ways, yeah. and they will always they will always find a place, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and they will always find audiences. Right. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, there are some stories that now are being told that never would have had a chance to be told. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're reaching people who never maybe had an identification before. Right. So new characters and new stories are, we now live in a world where I don't care how small your story is, there's an audience for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if it's told with authenticity and it's told in a way that only you can tell it, right. mm -hmm. then it's just a matter of getting it in front of the eyeballs of, mm -hmm. of people who will say, this is, this is, quality work yeah. this is authentic this is exclusive only this person can do it and i think that's very um encouraging yeah i mean you know some people might argue there is so many stories out there <laughs> There's that you're gonna get lost now. in the shuffle mm -hmm. yeah but i kind of tend to disagree i think yeah. that the cream kind of rises to the top yeah mm -hmm. and uh well you may have a particular story that might not ever be seen or well received if you're a good storyteller, yeah. if you are good at putting your narrative into that, then you'll do it on the next project. Right. You know, you'll have a, a career, you'll have a longevity as long as you are able to adhere to not only the craft of, of, of filmmaking mm -hmm. or storytelling, 
but the art of it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like right now where we're at uh, with the streaming platforms that TV or like episodic content is what's really going to be big and it's going to continue on, you know, for the next decade to be a strong influence in, in what where people's eyeballs are. Yes. Uh, why why do you say why would you think that would be versus the feature film that we've been relying on for so many years? I hesitate to even mention his name, but but Kevin Spacey, you can find this video on YouTube. Yeah. Did a mm-hmm. wonderful speech. You ever see the speech that he gave once mm, no. to uh, to I think it was a HBO uh, convention or something. It was mm-hmm. some kind of a gathering of professionals. Yeah. And he gave a really at the time it was heralded as a wonderful yeah. talk on where on the future of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Right. And he basically said that you know the future of entertainment is in erasing the the the, the confinement of a set period of time. Mm. Stories now can breathe over six hours, 10 hours, 20 Mm -hmm. hours. It's up to the filmmakers and it's up to the arc of the story that you can tell a story as completely or as long as you wish it to tell. Mm -hmm. And people are now no longer bound by that 50-foot movie screen Mm -hmm. or their 56-inch or whatever inch television set. They can now consume story at the gym while they're, you know, on the, on the, on the, you can tell I exercise. Yeah. On the, uh, uh, on the, <laughs> bicycle? On the spin cycle. Spin yeah, cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we don't exercise. Or at, when they're walking their dogs yeah. or, you know, while they're making dinner, they yeah. can now consume story in bite-sized bits. Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself sometimes overwhelmed with the choices that I have. Right. I, mean, yeah. I drive to San Diego all the time to see my son. And I have the choice of being in the car and uh, listening to you know, podcasts right. or watching videos, yeah. watching television episodes. Now, you shouldn't do this while you're driving. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. I understand. No, you shouldn't. Disclaimer. But, uh, like audio, yeah. audio books. But yes, too. audio books. I mean, yeah. the story can now come in so yeah. many different forms. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the making of a murder serial podcast. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a story. Yeah. Which included wonderful narrative mm-hmm. from the person who was doing the podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah was her name, right? She, she, only she could have given that particular story, that narrative, because yeah. it was so personal to her right. and, and mm-hmm. how she viscerally reacted to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody else doing that same podcast, hopefully it'd be a whole different experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that the television uh, is, in some cases, more exciting to me mm-hmm. than movies. Yeah. When I look at the number of TV shows that are coming out or new seasons of shows that yeah. I love, yeah. I get more excited about that yeah. than movies that might be coming out this season yeah. and, and I, I, I'm not the only one no, no, but no. there's like maybe three movies I'm looking forward to this season but there might be eight different TV shows yeah. I can't wait for them to come back and the quality is just as good as film so it's yeah. like you're getting the goodness right. of film but like for yeah. six hours or and, whatever yeah. and people you know and you get sure. big great yeah. name people migrating yeah. now to television mm-hmm. right so you're getting uh, top of the line talent now yeah mm-hmm. it's now it's it's muddy now there's no more distinction of I'm a TV actor I'm a yeah. I'm a film actor now right. it's hey you got a good story to tell even unknown yeah. people you know every time I see somebody on a TV show that mm-hmm. I think is great and I haven't heard of them. I yeah. think either I'm getting old <laughs> or this person is from England or Australia and I've never heard of this person right. before. Right. More often than not, they're from another country and I look them up on IMDb and it's like, oh, they're from Australia. They're yeah. from New Zealand. They're yeah. from England. Um, and yes, we can now have this incredible global talent pool yeah. telling great stories yeah. and uh, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So for somebody struggling with 
trying to tell a story, are there techniques they can use or how do you, how would you go about helping that person? Well, first of all, I would say, yes, get some of those texts, uh, mm-hmm. like Story by Robert McKee. And Michael Haig did a wonderful book called Writing Screenplays That Sell that I love. William Frug has a couple of very slim volumes, F-R-O-U-G. Okay. Um, the Screenwriter, Talks to the Screenwriter, I think is one of them. Yeah. Wonderful books that are from masters. Sidney, Sidney Lamette has a book called Making Movies, which oh. is a wonderful primer from a wonderful director. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie and I are reading right now uh, Conversations with Wilder. I'm oh. rereading it, which yeah. is mm-hmm. Cameron Crowe yeah. interviewing Billy Wilder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, about filmmaking. So there's wonderful resources out there to learn from masters. Yeah. But also, and I'm sure my wife would agree, see movies, see mm. old films, see the best of the best. Yeah. See the people, the work from the people who've done it and who've mm. done it tremendously well. Right. Watch great television. Um, so yes, there are techniques just simply by watching it, mm-hmm. but there are also things that you already know how to do. And I tell this to students, you know, when I talk to them or when I'm training people in the corporate world. There are things you already know that make a good story. Mm-hmm. You had something big happen to you at work or something horrible happened on the way to work or when you come home and your wife or your husband or your spouse or your partner or your friend says, so how, how, how was the day? Yeah. And you say, oh, you won't believe what happened to me today. You already know the best way to tell that story for that particular audience. You already have those skills. Mm. But when I was working as a story analyst, as I mentioned, I saw certain patterns Mm -hmm. that were coming across. And three of those patterns Michael Haig had identified in a screenwriting lecture, a workshop that I went to. And I saw, yes, these are the things Michael Haig talked about. Mm -hmm. And as I continued in my career, I found three more that nobody ever talked about. Mm. And I created what I call the six legs of rapport. Mm -hmm. Wow. And these are the six techniques that I have identified Mm -hmm. that are used universally in any story, any book, any movie, any television show, any any form where there is a story or a narrative in order to capture the attention, the identification, and the involvement of an audience. Yeah. And I always saw them in the first five pages mm-hmm. and I thought, I need to remember this. Yeah. I need to not only know this, I need to get good at this so that I can share it with other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And this became one of the 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 the, the big parts of my narrative strategies. Yeah. So the six legs of rapport are yeah. jeopardy, okay, empathy, yeah, likability, authority, affinity, and exclusivity. And if you like, I can break them down very quickly for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Right. Yes. So remember, Free lesson, in, y'all. in any story that you're telling, and by the way, it, I, I suppose it's possible that there's another one I haven't identified, but yeah. I haven't found it yet. And I've been yeah. doing this for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and it, it's possible that somebody might purposefully play with some of those ingredients mm-hmm. to get a different reaction from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But generally, if you want to capture somebody's attention, get them to be involved, meaning mm-hmm. they want to see where it goes, they want right. to keep turning the pages, or mm-hmm. they want to keep watching. And identification, meaning they feel uh, a bond with the protagonist yeah. Yeah. that makes them care, yeah. mm-hmm. because you have to have your audience care. Right. Then these are the six ways to do it. Number one is Jeopardy. It's an option. You don't have to use all of them. You can just use one of them. You can use a couple of them. But Jeopardy is one of the options. Basically, in the first five minutes, your protagonist is in danger of mm. dying. 
And you see this in a lot of action movies. It'll start off and the scene starts and somebody's being chased or they're in a fight for their life Mm -hmm. or a plane is about to land, crash land. And, and, you know, you think, oh my gosh, this is a human being. Mm -hmm. And unless it's, you know, if it's somebody that you know, like Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks, you can already identify with them. But if it's a, a, an actor, like again, somebody mm-hmm. from New Zealand or Australia, we've never seen them before, yeah. then you may not have an identification with them. Putting them in mortal danger in the first five minutes will automatically get an audience to go, I want to see what happens to this person. They mm-hmm. almost died. Right. So, and James Bond movies, by the way. Mm-hmm. The first scene of every James Bond yeah. movie is him escaping yeah. death. So yeah. even if it's a brand new actor, yeah. you know viscerally, mm-hmm. that's the guy I need to look out for. Right. That's mm-hmm. the guy that I care about. Mm-hmm. And he almost died. And wow, what a hero. And yeah. you're off and running. Right. Mm-hmm. So Jeopardy is one. Mm-hmm. Two, empathy. This is akin to Jeopardy. Your life isn't in danger, but something's happened that makes people empathize with you. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you got a divorce. Yeah. Or your dog died that morning. Yeah. Or you get fired. Jerry Maguire starts off with him getting fired. I mean, he he pours his heart into something, Mm -hmm. so he's likable. And then he gets fired, and you empathize with him. This guy's career is done because of something that he did authentically. Yeah. Yeah. So empathy is is very easy to do. We see that a lot. Sometimes it's done very, very badly. But done well, you can create a situation where you care about this character because they're going through something that, oh, man... I, I would hate to have to go through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you've been through that, so you can identify because I've been there. Right. Mm-hmm. So empathy is another one. Third one is my favorite one because it just is natural for me. That's likability. Mm-hmm. And likability is basically you care about that person because they're likable. And yeah. now uh, Hollywood sometimes will get lazy on this one. Yeah. Because instead of actually doing the work and writing a likable character in the script... They'll just hire Sandra Bullock (laughs) or they'll hire Tom Hanks or George Clooney or somebody that we already like. And then you say, well, I love this person. And so it may not be in the script. You just happen to like them. But what if you can't afford Tom Hanks or Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise? What if um, you are actually bound by the story itself? Well, you make the person likable. How? You make that person a good person. Mm-hmm. You make them, they, they, they lend their brother money yeah. mm-hmm. that they don't have, but they, it's their brother. Right. They help an old lady who fell in the grocery store and they, they pick up the things and they get her new eggs because her eggs broke. Yeah. Or they find a lost dog and they're going to be late for their job interview, but they're going to make sure the dog is safe. Mm-hmm. Doing things that just are likable by nature mm-hmm. uh, are going to make you say, I like this guy. I yeah. like this woman. I'm going to watch her for the rest of the, of, of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And humor, by the way, is also a great way to be Mm likable. If you make an audience laugh, then we like you. Mm -hmm. So that's the third one. Fourth one is authority. And this one you see a lot as well. Basically, in the first five pages, you make the protagonist the best at what they do. Mm. They're the best surgeon in the hospital. (laughs) And they're in the middle of a brain surgery that's very, very sensitive. And anything could go wrong, but they pull it off. Nobody else could have done that. High fives all around. The movie begins and we know they're the best. Yeah. Or they're the best race car driver on the track and they won that race. Right. Or they're the best cop on the force and they just call it a criminal that's been, you know. <laughs> so you start off by making them the best at what they do. Right. And then generally it's a redemption story where you're going to see them fall from grace and then you're going to try Come to back. see them get their mojo back. Yeah. Like like a Doctor Strange. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, making them very good at what they do is also a way. And interestingly enough, just to 
mm-hmm. go on a little tangent here. Yeah. When I've taught this to corporate people, mm-hmm. and I, you know, because these strategies can translate into the real world. Yeah, definitely. I have a love-hate relationship now with authority because <laughs> that's the one that people want to gravitate toward. Yeah. And maybe it's because of insecurities or because, but mm-hmm. people, when they're giving a speech or they're telling a story, they, they'll try to come off as, you know, I'm the best at what I do and they'll use big words <laughs> and they'll put on an inauthentic kind of veneer of, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be da-da-da. And it's so inauthentic, mm-hmm. but they love the idea that they're, they're, they think that they're projecting this authority yeah. that I tell people, use it sparingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, you're already the authority because you're at the front of the room. Right. You're already the authority because you have the name badge on. You know where the bathrooms are. Yeah. You're already the authority <laughs> because your name is on the poster of the movie. Yeah. We know you're the guy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go and you know be authoritative mm-hmm. with a big hammer because uh, it can be overwhelming. So right. mm-hmm. you, authority is great, right. but use it sparingly. I love my favorite technique for authority is don't make it be so blatant. Mm-hmm. Borrow authority from another area mm. and put it in. So if you are giving a speech about how to do a specific process mm-hmm. and nobody knows that you're a gardener, that you love gardening and you, you have a green thumb and, and you... Talk about your authority about some strain of flower that you just discovered. Oh, wow. Borrow the authority from something else. So, for example, you made a, a, a comment earlier about Star Wars. I'm guessing yeah. you're a Star Wars fan, right? Yes. Not yes. a Star Trek guy. You're a Star Wars yes, guy. Yes, sir. So you knew that it was Admiral Akbar right. and not General Akbar. Right. So if you were doing a movie or a film, I would say, let's bring that in. Bring yeah. that, that thing in. Because then you're using authority from another area. Right. And then we instinctively know, mm-hmm. okay, he may not be the authority on this, but I'm going to view him as an authority because he knows about Star Wars or chess or he knows about, you know, the best route to get to this mm-hmm. particular place. So yeah. that's my favorite use of authority. It's subtle, but I find the best use is when you borrow it from somewhere else right. and don't throw it in someone's face. Yeah. Right. Then there's affinity. Affinity is great yeah. because it's basically the commonalities that we have mm-hmm. with our audience. Yeah. In filmmaking, affinity was... Um, uh, really kind of had its 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 heyday, I think, in in the 1970s black exploitation movement, okay. when there was a whole segment of people who were not being represented in film, okay. and they wanted films made by people who understood what they were going through, mm. and filmmakers and stars started to make films for this segment, yeah. and that created an affinity that continues now to this day. Right, mm-hmm. there are people now who will follow Guillermo del Toro to the ends of the earth yeah. because they feel <laughs> yeah. he's one of us. Right, or, right, right. or James Cameron. Right. Or um, Steve Jobs and yeah. Bill Gates for that matter. Yeah. They have an affinity with the people that they serve because people feel they're one of us. Right. They're representing us. They're nerdy. They're geeky. They're just like us. And we like what they're, they're offering. Yeah. So you can do this in a film or a story by making a protagonist be... Um, a dad, if you're if you if you have you know parents right. that you're trying to appeal to, right. or they love football as right. many people do, right. or they um, they're if you're making a movie for truck drivers, make your protagonist a truck driver. Yes. Find a way to have an every person quality, yes. something that we can all relate to, and if you create that affinity, that'll create that identification. Wow. And the final one is exclusivity. Yeah, and exclusivity is. Um, uh, doing something that only that person can do. We were talking earlier about Sidney yeah. Poitier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's about as exclusive as you can get. Yeah. Because nobody can do what Sidney Poitier did. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do it like him. So to me, that's the mark of a great performance. Right. Mm-hmm. No one can do that like like them. Great filmmaker. Nobody can make a movie like Martin Scorsese. Nobody can make a movie like Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Nobody can make a movie quite like this particular person. Yeah. So that's exclusivity. You'll never see the Titanic sink in much the same way as if you went and saw that movie Titanic. Right. That gave you a, an experience you could only have gotten from watching that movie. Right. He's now done it with a whole universe with Avatar, yeah. a whole species and whole mm-hmm. you know planets and histories and mythology, so much so he's devoted the rest of his life to telling <laughs> this story, yes, this wow. narrative from his imagination yes, yeah. in a way that you're never going to get that experience mm-hmm. unless you go see a James Cameron movie. Right. So exclusivity in terms of characters are you make somebody, uh, and it could be a combination of who you cast, but it can also be the character themselves. Mm-hmm. They are uniquely that character. Yeah. Only that mm-hmm. character would say that and do that in such a way, mm-hmm. and I've never seen somebody like this before. Like so a that, Han Solo hair. A Han Solo. Before, who yeah. saw Han Solo before right. Han Solo? Right. That was like refreshing, and he's funny and irreverent, and that's exclusive. Yeah. There's only a, one Han Solo right. in all the universes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a great character, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. a great example. So the so the review, uh, there's six legs. Six legs of rapport. I call them rapport. Rapport. Mm-hmm. Uh, to create interest, identification, and involvement. Right. Mm-hmm. And once again, they are Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Likeability. Okay. Authority. Affinity. And the exclusivity. exclusivity. Mm-hmm. And I haven't found a seventh one. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I find that I'm having trouble identifying which one they're using... It's generally a bad story. Yeah. They haven't grabbed me, they haven't hooked me, and I haven't found another one. Maybe one day I will, and I'll yeah. say, hey, here's one that's never been used before. Well, you have to come back on the podcast. I would love to. Update, it would be a big us. announcement if I find a seventh leg. Yeah. All right, well, there's like a, a... phantom limb. Yeah. phantom limb, yes. Well, uh, moving on with your career, there is a special talent, right? Yeah, you, you have a, a special a talent that you... My wife told you that? Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> yes. No, I'm a wonderful cook. I thought she was talking to you about cooking. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, cooking, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you have, you have a gift of... Magicianry. Magicianry. <laughs> God, I'm going to put that on my business card. I like that. Yeah. Magicianry. Uh, yes. Um, I'm a magician. I, I've been a magician since I was a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As most magicians will tell you, they started when they were a kid. Yeah. Most kids, at least boys, yeah. did you ever have a magic set growing up? Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure I did, yeah. Yeah, a lot of girls do, too, but mm-hmm. I find that boys generally, at some point in their life, they always get a magic set. But we know like, why, because men are deceitful naturally. <laughs> is that right? it? Maybe. <laughs> but something happens when puberty hits, because yeah. they either they, they, they discover love, yeah. or they discover you know music, or they discover sports, or they mm-hmm. discover something else that takes their attention away. For me, it was Pokemon. But oh, was it? That's there you go. <laughs> See, I was unlucky in love, and I was no good at sports, and uh, I just stuck with the magic because it was all I had. But yeah, I love magic, and I've been doing it since I was a kid, and I took it seriously enough that my parents actually bought me a magic store mm-hmm. uh, when I was a teenager, and I got to run that for a couple of years. So a that whole was like, store? A whole store. I thought you were going to say set. It was like, oh, no, okay. No, they bu- an opportunity came to buy a magic store in San Diego, the mm-hmm. only professional magic shop at the time, <laughs> and I got to literally be the kid in the candy store looking through everything. Wow. wow. And uh, I continued with it, and I, mm-hmm. I performed, you know, I, I still perform when yeah. they call me. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a member of the Magic Castle in Hollywood, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, that's a very exclusive. That's kind of like Carnegie Hall for mm-hmm. magicians. It's wow. the premier yeah. venue for magic yeah. in mm-hmm. the world. 
And uh, you can't get in unless you know a member. But now you know me. So if you ever yeah. want to go, yeah. I'm your contact. That'd be, That'd be cool. awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I love magic. I've yeah. loved it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a big part of who I am. Now, I, I just want to make sure we have a distinction here. So when you say magic, are we talking about David Blaine or are we talking about yeah. all of it? Or? We're talking about uh, magic. I like yeah. close-up magic. That's my, okay. my love. Okay. I don't do the big boxes and the tigers and the yeah. you know yeah. glitter on a stage. Because when you were saying earlier about you were chained up, maybe this is the start <laughs> of us. escape? Yes, it was magic. an escape. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I am working on this knot you have me in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, close-up magic. Yeah. Uh, I also am a big fan of mentalism. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Much to my wife's chagrin. She's not a big fan of mentalism. What is it, that again? Well, yeah, mentalism, mentalism is, is mind-reading magic. Oh, okay. So instead of like, you know, here's a coin and it vanishes, or yeah. here's a card and this is your card, yeah. it's, you know, think of think think of something and I'm going to try to get, you know, this. it's almost propless. It's just yeah. you. It's psychological magic, right. basically. Can you do one like over a podcast? Oh, like what am I thinking right now? <laughs> well, it's actually funny. I was having a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Think, do you think it's possible for somebody to know what you're thinking when you're not? They're not even in the room. I hope not. Like oh, I might be able to get body language from you. Right. I might uh, be able to get. You know, maybe I had a conversation about you, or I looked you up on the internet and I found your Facebook preferences. Yeah. And <laughs> it's possible in today's world that yeah. you might be skeptical. Oh yeah. But what if there was somebody outside of here mm-hmm. who actually could tell you what you were thinking? That would make you kind of wonder yeah. about the laws of the universe, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Oh well, yeah. You want to try something? Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. Let's try something. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think I can do this. For example, before I even do this, right. uh, uh-huh. if you were going to name, uh, oh, it could be something you could think of, a card. Mm-hmm. There are 52 cards in a deck. Yeah. Name any card and try to make it one that's not really common. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ace of Spades, you could say, but yeah. a lot of people would say that. It's yeah. a very common card. You may not find it as impressive. An Eight of Diamonds. Now, nobody would say Eight of Diamonds, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty unique one. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on my phone. Okay. And if we're going to do this, and I can put it on speaker. Let's, let's mm-hmm. do this live. Okay. Um, put any three-digit area code. And then go ahead and put in another three digits. I want to make sure it's, okay. it's a random number, any three digits. And then put two more okay. digits. And then you put two more digits. So I'm we sure have a complete phone number. He's not reading off of our glasses. <laughs> no, not reading. It doesn't matter. I'm, we're we're going we're gonna to call it. Yeah. Oh, and no. We're going to do this live, and I guess we have to tell them we're on a podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. okay. Oh, let's mercy. See. Here we go. Let's try it. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. I'm sorry. Let's do it again. <laughs> area code? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you... Oh, a real area code. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and go, go ahead and put another couple digits, and then put another four digits. Yeah. So we have a random number. Okay. This will be worth it, I promise. As soon yeah, as, this, this is cool. Yeah, let's, let's see what happens. Um, call speaker. Who called me at this time of day? Let's see what happens. Hey, all, you've reached Laura Joe. I'm ah, right now. Sorry. That's a real person. One more time. Yeah. Wow, this is great magic. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I blame them. They're they're picking bum numbers. <laughs> Put another number. Something random. Um, okay. Okay. Finish it up. Hit. Go ahead and hit dial. Oh, yeah. And hit speaker. Hello? I'm sorry. Uh, can I talk to you? For- this is Chris. Is this my driver? <laughs> no, it's not your driver. I'm sorry. I'm uh, doing a podcast right now, and I'm doing a magic trick, and I'm hoping you can help me out. We're live right now. Uh, is that okay? Uh, I'm waiting for a car. Uh, 
Uh, just, just take a second. I'm sorry, who's this? My name is Ruben Padilla, and I'm on a podcast live with a couple of people. Yes, you're on the Musty Creative Podcast. Must, yeah, the Musty. Is this live? This is live. We're live right now. Musty Creative Podcast. Hoping you can help me with a magic trick. I'm a magician, and I was hoping you could help me by thinking of a card. Would you mind helping me for a second? Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. So just think of a card in a deck of cards. Any any card. But no Joker. There was no, yeah, I, I can no, say that. Yeah, no Joker. And uh, just get one in your mind. Name the card that they're. Just any card. Any card from a from a from a deck of cards. Yes, that would be great. Thank you. Uh, got it. Oh, okay. Well, I want you to say it for our audience because. Uh, just say it. Just say it out loud. Yes. Whoa! That was amazing! Whoa, that's weird! <laughs> you did it! That was fantastic. That was the card he was thinking of. Yeah. I have no idea what just happened. Yeah, I'm the co-host of the Musty Creative Podcast, Jesus, and I literally just said Eight of Diamonds like five minutes ago. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. I have no idea what I did. Thank you. You were You're amazing. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye. 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 <laughs> See? That's creepy. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that is so creepy. So is it possible? That gets me thinking. Is it possible for somebody to know oh. that? At least on the third try. Yeah. <laughs> on the third try, <laughs> yes. As a, I, as a programmer, computer scientist, there's got to be some logical rules, some coincidences, <laughs> some probabilities. Right. It, well, it's one out of 52. Mm-hmm. But that's, it literally is one out of 52. A random person. A random person. You guys dialed the mm-hmm. number. Yeah. And so that gets me gets me thinking. Is it yeah. possible for somebody to do that? Now, hopefully, if I did that well, mm-hmm. your brain is now kind of exploded a little bit. <laughs> yeah. With the idea that you know the rules that you knew before we started this right. podcast no longer apply completely. Musty Collective, mm-hmm. still are you still with us? <laughs> yes. We didn't even get his name. We didn't even. Did we tell him it was a podcast? Oh yeah. I, uh, I did oh, not. Okay. I did not hear well, him. Yeah. I did say podcast though, so we're not yeah. going to get in trouble. We no, didn't identify no. him. Yeah. Right? Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. Isn't mm-hmm. so. I I love magic and I love mentalism, but my wife always has this uh, this this. She has a problem with the fact that mm-hmm. a lot of mentalists will say uh, concentrate concentrate she's like they already know what it is come on you're just acting now is it a red card it's a, a diamond I'm sensing and yeah. you know at this point she's like you know I, I completely know that you already know it why are yeah. we doing this song and dance a little dramatic flair though right Entertainment. so I have this goal to try to get to a point where I can do something and she'll say that was amazing mm-hmm. right that, it'll never happen not, not this not the mentalism his, yeah. ma- his close-up magic is amazing. She loves yeah. my close-up magic. Yeah. The mental. Well, see that, that right. really encourages <laughs> yeah. me to try harder. Well, you can fool everybody right now. <laughs> wow, that that was woo. Let's honestly, that oh, was. thank you. That was awesome. I, I yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I'm, still, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, it's fun if you don't. <laughs> That's why I, magic to me is is interesting because we were. Uh, uh, I like to apply the narrative strategies mm-hmm. to life and everything that I do. Yeah, magic as well. Is it is it possible for magic to use those six legs? Is it possible to use storytelling techniques mm-hmm. in whatever endeavor it, that you do? Right. It doesn't yeah. have to be just telling a story, doing film. Right. But as a mother raising a child, mm-hmm. as somebody who is uh, working a job at, at the mall, right. is it possible to use these techniques? And I say yes, mm-hmm. because deep down we all know that we are the protagonists in our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we either consciously know it 
or subconsciously we feel it. Yeah. We're going through this life, we're going through our day-to-day struggles, and we're trying to achieve daily goals, mm-hmm. and we're trying to achieve uh, uh, change, mm-hmm. we're trying to better ourselves, and along the way, we have conflicts that get yeah. in the way of that. Mm-hmm. We have other people who might take us off our path. We have uh, 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 conflicts with with situations, with with people, with you know, it's mm-hmm. it's almost like we're telling a story yeah. every single day of our lives. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, when we put our head on the pillow, we either achieved our goals mm-hmm. or the story's gonna continue the next day and we're gonna hope to get our goals. Yeah. And I have found that you can kind of collapse that little story arc. Remember the the in, in, in old high school English classes where they would teach you that 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 graph where there's like a rising action and there's conflict and mm-hmm. at the top is the climax of the story. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Everybody giggled when you heard that. Yeah. And then there's the, 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 the falling action and the mm-hmm. conclusion. Well, I basically kind of took that arc yeah. and I created the narrative path, which wow. is just basically an evolution right. of that storytelling. There's mm-hmm. the beginning, yeah. there's the end, here's all the stuff that can happen along the way. Right. And it's rising upward to show you that it's kind of difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you get it, you get your goal, then wonderful. And if you don't get your goal, well, sorry, then your story's a tragedy in this particular instance. Yeah. But that narrative arc, that path, as I call it, can apply to one hour. Mm-hmm. It can apply to a day. It can yeah. apply to your week, your month, your year. Your life. Your life. Mm-hmm. Birth and death. Yeah. And, you know, how did we do? So I think, again, going back to the beginning of we're storytelling yeah. animals, yeah. Right. <laughs> this is something that is ingrained in us, I think, on a daily basis. And then, so... I- you mentioned a little bit briefly that magic is linked to storytelling. If we go back to some like older stories, there's the the witch, you know, you know, putting right. a curse yes. or, or some kind of enchanted forest. And are you talking about magic in those ways as a storytelling element, or just? Well, uh, I, I could talk for hours about this, yeah. but essentially, magic is generally a story. It's a mm. story of doing something impossible. Okay. Mm-hmm. And whether it's for entertainment or whether it's for actual nefarious, you know, reasons. Not yeah. that, you know, I do that. I'm no, 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 I do no. entertainment only. Yeah. But magic is basically you are you are in in, in a certain sense, you are a god mm-hmm. who is breaking the laws of physics and you're doing something that we all know cannot be done. Mm-hmm. When magic is done well, mm-hmm. you're basically doing something impossible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very often, magic, when it's performed, uh, tells a story that I find to be very boring, which is the story of the objects. <laughs> Here's your card. Sign your card. We're going to put it back in the deck. I'm going to shuffle it. Yeah. I don't know where your card is. And right. is this your card? Right. And too often, bad magic is about the story of the props. Yeah. He put it in this hand, then it was gone, then it came out over here. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, and I'm not alone in this, I mean, I've learned from other magicians, yeah. that story uh, magic can be so much more than that. Mm. Magic as metaphor mm-hmm. can be the story of doing something impossible, about escaping from a bad situation, about achieving a goal. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is very uh, akin to, to, to movie making in the sense that mm. we're in the realm of dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you make a movie, you're, you're, you're able to do anything you want in a movie. Yeah. Magic has that same possibility mm-hmm. to be able to do anything you want, but in a live setting. Mm-hmm. Right. And magic is one of the only art forms, I think, that specifically addresses the emotion of wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, movies can do it, yeah. and other you know novels and even songs can can do that, create yeah. that sense of wonder mm-hmm. in you. But magic is dedicated to creating that feeling that we've all, I think, sometimes outgrow. 
Yeah. Because when we're a child, I mean, face it, everything is magical. You don't know anything about the world. Mm-hmm. A butterfly can be magical. Right. Mm-hmm. A shooting star can be magical. An image on a TV set can be magical. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You don't know. Yeah. How did the person get in that TV set? I used right. to think that the newscasters who were looking into the camera could see me. Yeah. When I was growing up, I thought there was a big wall of monitors. I could only imagine about 50 people in the world. And I imagined that if you weren't watching that channel, the monitor was off. Yeah. But if the, you were watching, then the newscaster could see you. Oh, wow. And I would wave to them as a child thinking they could see me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, magic has a way of of, 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 of of doing that, I think, in a live setting. Yeah. 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 It can be much bigger than simply the story of the props. It can mm-hmm. be a metaphor to the condition of life and, and, and something greater. Now, it's very possible also to kind of take it too far and come across as this pretentious, you know, <laughs> I am going to teach you about life, the universe, and everything. Here, pick a card. Yeah. You know, so, uh, <laughs> Find me on Sunset and Bullet. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's something to strive for. And, yeah. and, and I do love the idea that magic uh, is specific um, to that dreamer in mm-hmm. all of us. Right. And, as, and, and again, is related to movies in much the same way. Mm-hmm. And also, would you say like magic and miracles are in the same vein? Or is that just a, that's a separate... Area. Well, um, I, I, I'm, I'm very skeptical as a magician. I kind of yeah. have to be in terms yeah. of when I see something that people might purport to be actually real. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. You know, whether it's a UFO or some miracle or, yeah. you know, Jesus appeared on a Dorito chip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm very skeptical about yeah. that kind of stuff right. uh, naturally. But uh, no, I'm talking about magic as an entertainment form. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you know, not really casting spells or mixing mm-hmm. potions in real life. Right. Although there was a time when a magician, even for entertainment purposes, would be burned at the stake. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they, yeah. they, you know people sometimes, belief is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that anybody today in today's world looks at a magician and thinks, this man is doing supernatural things. Right. I don't know if that right. exists in the modern world. Right. I don't know that... that I don't know. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing I did for you, tell me, do you really think that something you thought traversed through this studio over a phone line to yeah. somebody, and I don't know what area code you dialed, yeah. but that that person who answered actually received a, a card through the ether? Or do you think that there was something explainable going on because you said I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure it out yeah. <laughs> on some level you don't really think that he read your mind yeah. mm-hmm. or do you well go ahead yeah I don't think you don't. so no neither do I neither yeah. does Carrie I, I don't think he read my mind but I, I will say this is that I think there's always a trick to the trick that the magician is doing and you're the magician in this mm-hmm. so there could have been a way that you the words you used maybe i subliminally or psychologically something or suggested mm-hmm. possibly yeah i mm-hmm. can see that yeah well see in that if that's the case then i am the authority in this scenario mm-hmm. but hopefully i didn't wield it like an authority no and if i did it correctly the way yeah. i wanted to do it mm-hmm. then i made it not about me right but about you mm-hmm. and this guy Right. Yeah. It and felt I, like you were on the journey with I, us. I was just simply, yeah. yeah, a conduit. I was just simply, you know, yeah. on the journey with you. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of magic that I like right. to do. Mm-hmm. Where we can kind of think, well, wow, let's not focus on how we did it. Yeah. Let's focus on, that was pretty cool. And mm-hmm. what, what else does that mean? What else can you do? And what yeah. else can we talk about? Yeah, but it, dude, entertainment-wise, yeah. you just boosted our rating. So thank you oh. so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank Eric or whoever they right. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast My and pleasure. telling us all this awesome information. This is great education. Mm-hmm. But uh, before you leave, we want to ask one more question. We yes. ask this for our guests uh, who are up here on the show. Is there a story that you are dying to tell? It's a story that I told in script form okay. that I haven't really done anything with. But it's a story that I, I came up with uh, because of a conversation with my father years ago. He just he loves sending me little newspaper articles or clippings or mm-hmm. strike up a conversation based on something he read. Yeah. Yeah. And one day he said to me, do you know that nobody owns the moon? <laughs> what do you mean? He says, nobody owns the moon. Mm. You could go to the moon if you wanted to and build a house up there and live there. Yeah. Nobody owns it. No one's going to kick you off. No if property Mike, tax. <laughs> Michael Jackson was alive at the time. He said, if Michael Jackson wants to go to the moon, he can do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's interesting. And so all writers have the, your little notebook of ideas. Right. Right. I grabbed that notebook and I wrote down, you know, nobody owns the moon. So imagine, and this might be actually a better time yeah. to tell the story than when I wrote it 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine that we live in a world where we really need some global coming together. Right. Mm-hmm. And imagine that somebody has this great idea to have a, 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 a world lottery. Mm. <laughs> a lottery that the winner would be able to put whatever they wanted as a billboard, mm-hmm. basically, on the moon. <laughs> nice. That the technology exists in this fantasy world with a big laser mm-hmm. to etch yeah. an engraving mm-hmm. on the moon, right. essentially a billboard that would be up there for 50 years. Mm-hmm. If you win it, your message, your symbol, your word, your picture, yeah. your name mm-hmm. will be on the moon for 50 years. Oh, I like that. Now imagine, it's kind of like a Willy Wonka type yeah. of story. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, Imagine that somebody wins this, right? And overnight, they would become the most famous person in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody would be scrambling not only to know what are you going to do with it, what are you going to do with it, mm-hmm. but corporations would come and yeah. say, "We want to buy it. We want to buy it. Yeah. We want you to put Nike up there, or, right. or Mickey Mouse. <laughs> right. We want you to put Coca Cola. We'll pay you a billion dollars to put Coca Cola for fifty years. Yeah. A billion dollars. Would you sell that?" right Mm -hmm. to somebody for to the highest bidder Mm -hmm. or would you take the responsibility to say this is going to be up there for 50 years i want to pick something that's going to maybe make a difference Mm -hmm. maybe mean something maybe share my narrative here's my chance what would you do so Mm -hmm. there's a story about that choice of what somebody would do Mm -hmm. and the responsibility that might come with it and the opportunities that might come from that and i could well, yeah. Oh. Well, I so she knows. Up. Well, here's the thing. I started thinking as a writer. Okay, yeah. well, it could be, you know, it could be a, a symbol of peace. Yeah. It could be a symbol of a child. Yeah. It could be two hands shaking hands. Right. I, I tend to be a lot more <laughs> sentimental than my wife. And she thought those ideas were horrible, and they were. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't crack the ending. Well, I, t- I said, I'm not going to tell you what the ending yeah, was. Okay, good, good, but we good, were yeah. having tacos <laughs> at a fast food place in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, and yeah. we we were mm-hmm. sitting there, and I said, I just can't. If I could come up with the perfect ending mm-hmm. of what what he chooses to put on the moon for 50 years, I think I'd have a story. And then she said, well, you know what it should be. Don't say it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> and I said, no, what it should be. And she said, it should be this. Yeah. And as soon as she said it, I instantly knew, of course, of course. It was one of those things that you hit your head and you say, it couldn't be anything else. An eight of diamonds. An eight of diamonds. <laughs> yes, an eight of diamonds. Yeah. You cracked it. This was a story. You've inspired me to pick up the script again and yeah. pass it or around. Or when we all watch it on uh, a streaming platform or something. Yeah, yeah somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we should. Yes. 
We want to thank you again, Ruben Padilla. Yeah. Thank you so much. If you want uh, to find out more information, yeah, please. I have a, a, a big project that I'm about to release imminently. It's yeah. not out yet, yeah. but we're talking days away mm-hmm. at narrativestrategies.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I've basically done is taken all of my trainings, including the Six Legs of Rapport, yes. mm-hmm. and I put them into a program, educational program online, for people who wish to share their narrative mm-hmm. in front of people. Um, speakers, uh, but it can also apply to people writing stories. And it's basically, it's a, a system that will take all of these things that are original with me right. that I've kind of put into a, a, a program uh-huh. with 73 teaching videos and 12 PDFs. And it's something that will be available very soon. It's called the San Diego Speaking System. That's where I grew up. Yeah. And you can find more about that at narrativestrategies.com. Very soon, not up yet, but right. it will be up very, very, very shortly. So please check that out. Oh, yes, please. All right, narrativestrategies.com. You heard it here first. Any other things you want to plug, future projects, current projects? That's pretty much what I'm doing, dedicating myself to teaching people how to uh, say it better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell your story. Right. And and share your narrative by owning the room. Right. I know it's a cliche statement to own no. the room, yes, but yes. basically it means... That the design of what you want to say, the execution of how you say it, mm-hmm. the experience that your audience has, and the results that that generates are under your control. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. awesome. And it, it, it's not cliche because you kind of gave us a great like foundational point mm-hmm. earlier. So that mm-hmm. is awesome. All right. Well, if you out there are musty collective of any projects you're working on in 2019 please let us know by posting on social media with the hashtag hashtag the musty creative and we will share it on the show that's all we have time for remember to leave us a review on itunes and find us on twitter instagram facebook and anchor.fm slash musty now musty <laughs> it's time to shower up Gives them a satisfaction they couldn't get any other way.